from the eternal word of God today, we pick up our reading in Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produce grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it hear then the parable of the sower when anyone hears the word of the, of the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart this is what was sown along the path as for what was sown on rocky ground this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Thank you, David. Well, good morning. You're going to want to keep your Bibles open to Matthew 13, so just hold your place there. We're going to be walking through this great chapter this morning. Good to be back with you as we 
I get ready to dive into Matthew 13, I was just sitting there thinking about a reality that uh, I am extremely grateful that in our church we have a plurality of leadership. It means it's more than one. So we have a great teaching team, which means we share the teaching opportunities, and I am grateful for that. But at times, that means I go four or five weeks and don't get to teach and preach to you on Sunday morning. And I'll just tell you, I miss it. So this morning, I've got about five weeks stored up that I'm ready to share with you from Matthew 13. So if you have lunch plans, you might want to change them. No, I'm just kidding. But it's a joke. Y'all didn't think it was very funny. Only two people laughed. Ha ha. Matthew chapter 13. You could title this chapter farmers seeds and weeds but we're going to title this chapter the parables of the kingdom of God now as you come to Matthew chapter 13 we've been reading along in the gospel of Matthew I hope you've been reading along your own reading plan on your own talking through this in our life groups I just got you got to know that when we come to Matthew chapter 13 we're coming to a pivotal turning point in the ministry of the Lord Jesus while he was on earth. Now Matthew is going to capture this, but we're coming to a massive pivot point in the ministry of Jesus. Let me try to explain a little bit of what I mean by that. For 12 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, the Apostle Matthew has been declaring really one massive truth, and it's this. Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah King of Israel. He's the one. He is here with evidence after evidence after evidence of who Jesus is, his glory, his deity, the fact that he is the promised one has been on clear display now for 12 chapters. Remember, Matthew wrote about his kingly ancestry, all those genealogies. He talked about his kingly conception, his birth, his divine forerunner, John the Baptist. He, He's shown us that Jesus has complete authority over all creation, over all sickness, over all demonic powers. We've seen that Jesus even has power over death itself. And here's Matthew over and over, the life of Jesus, holding him out saying to the people of Israel, your king is here. The king is here. So then you come to chapter 12, where we were a, a few weeks ago, and Paul and Daniel walked us through that chapter, and as, as the revelation of who Jesus is has been going on, at the same time, there's this drumbeat in the background going on of rejection. You've seen this building over time, and it really comes to a crescendo here in chapter 12, and then that leads us into 13, but we read it last week. It comes to the point where after all of these miracles, after all of his teaching, after all of his evidence of who Jesus is, you come to chapter 12 and the absurd statement is made by the religious leaders. They say, teacher, why don't you show us a sign? That's absurd. We talked about it a little bit last week. Pastor Daniel talked about it. After all that you've seen, after all that's been made known to you, you really don't want a sign. All that's been revealed to you, you're saying this Jesus is not enough. And it's revealing their cold hearts. They're saying, show us a sign. 
Raising the dead is not good, good enough for us. The fulfilling of all the Old Testament prophecies is not good enough for us. The clarity of who you are is not good, good enough for us. Show us a sign. And you come to Matthew 12, 14, and it says the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him to destroy him. So now they want to destroy him. If that wasn't enough, you come to the end of chapter 12, and it says, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, well, we don't quite understand how this Jesus is able to do all these things, so here's what we think. He's of the devil. And they attribute all the activity of Jesus to the devil himself, and just this height of rejection comes to a crescendo here in chapter 12. That leads us in, obviously, to chapter 13. So you come to the end of chapter 12, and you've got to ask some obvious questions. As you're reading along, here's some questions that ought to be reverberating in your mind. How can Jesus, who has been clearly revealed to be the promised Messiah, how can he be rejected by the people of Israel? Now, obviously, there are a few exceptions. There are the disciples, there are the Mary Magdalene's, there are the Peters and the Johns, those who have embraced him as king for the most part, the nation of Israel, when you come to chapter 12 and into 13, has rejected their Messiah King. Second question, Lord, how are you going to respond to this? You've been clearly making yourself known. Now when you come to this point in chapter 13, Lord Jesus, how are you going to respond to their rejection and their unresponsiveness? Third question, Lord, what about your redemptive kingdom plans? Is it all on hold? I mean, if you're the king, then you're going to have a kingdom. Is that going to advance? What is that going to look like? Are your plans failing? If you're Peter and James and John, you've got to be scratching your head at times and going, why is most of Israel rejecting? Lord, have your plans failed? How do we put all this together? And those are, I think, some questions that help set up as we go into chapter 13. And you see Jesus, there is a pivot and now the way he deals with the crowds, and the way he conducts his ministry. Look at verse 1. We're going to look at a few verses. Verse 1 says this, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. I'm not going to make a big deal about that. A lot of commentators make a big deal about verse 1 as they transition, that it, the house is representing the house of Israel, the sea is representing the world and the Gentiles, and here's the pivot point that he walks away from the house, so to speak, and is now turning his attention to the world and to the Gentiles. Could be why that verse is there. Verse 2, great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Jesus, how are you going to respond to the indifference and the rejection of your people? Verse 3, and he told them many things in parables. Stop right there. From now on, when Jesus teaches the crowd, he will teach only in parables. And there is a major significant reason he does that. And I don't want you to see that this morning. It's huge. If you don't understand why Jesus begins to teach in parables here in chapter 13, you're going to read these parables and say, oh, what a cute little story about seed and about leaven and about weeds. and uh, What cute little stories. There's so much more to what Jesus is doing. 
verse 13, verse 34, he said, All these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables indeed. He said nothing to them. From this point on, the crowd, now not his disciples, but the crowd, he speaks to them only in parables. Now, why is that? Let me see if I can help you a little bit with this. What, I'm going to ask three questions about a parable really quick to set up this chapter so you'll understand before we dive into the parables. There's seven parables here. I'll be honest, we're probably going to cover one of them today. We'll cover the, the rest of them next week. But I want you to understand the context of chapter 13. What is a parable? Well, a parable is a comparison. It's a story. It takes something known like a farmer, seed, sheep, lost coin, whatever it is. There's parables throughout the New Testament Jesus uses. Takes something known and it lays it aside, alongside something unknown so that the hearer can make comparisons from the known to the unknown. The word parable means literally to lay alongside something. Again, Jesus uses this teaching tool throughout the New Testament. But now you come to chapter 13, and where the crowds are concerned, he's only going to use parables. Parables usually have one main point. You've heard this before. I've, I've grown up being taught this. A parable is an earthly story, heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story, but a much greater divine meaning to it. So, okay, I, I kind of get what a parable is, but why does Jesus now shift like he does to only teach in parables to the crowd why parables here verse 10 move on down to verse 10 then the disciples came they said to him why do you speak in parables don't you love it when the bible answers your question that this look why are you teaching only in parables now he answers verse 11 says to you my disciples it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, the unbelieving, it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, this is talking about illumination, this is talking about revelation, this is talking about truth, Jesus revealing who he is. For three and a half years, he, or at least two and a half years, he's been revealing himself. He says, to those who have, to those who have received, you'll receive more. But to those who reject, I'm taking even what they have away. What does that mean? Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Let me give you two purposes for parables really quick. Number one, parables conceal. Parables conceal kingdom truth from the unresponsive and the unbelieving. You come to chapter 13 and you have to understand, Jesus beginning to teach in parables is not to say, okay, I know you guys are not getting it. If I change my tactic and I change my method of teaching, maybe then you'll get it. No, 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 no. To those who are unbelieving and unresponsive, these parables are an act of judgment. You've had revelation, you've had clarity, you've had everything for two and a half, almost three years now. Now I'm going to teach in parables, and even what you thought you understood, you're not going to understand. It's an act of judgment. After 12 chapters of overt, clear, undeniable evidence, their response is indifference, 
hostility and rejection. And he says now, verse 12, to the one who has, even what he has will be taken away. Michael Green says this, and I'll quote, The parables bring light for those who look for it and for those who do not desire it. It only intensifies the darkness. In other words, Jesus responds to their cold, callous indifference by taking that light that even they had away and concealing it in parables. Stop right there. What's all this mean? One of the applications for us here in the Bible Belt, East Tennessee, 2021, is this. As we have been walking through Matthew and you hear the teaching of the Word of God every week, and maybe you're opening your Bibles, whatever the case is, I, I want to make something really clear that jumps off the page from this chapter. It's this. It is a dangerous place to be, to be continually exposed to biblical truth and continue to respond in indifference and rejection. And think to yourselves that I can continue to hear this truth and one day maybe I'll respond. One day maybe I'll receive the truth. One day maybe I'll be interested in it. The reality is the more we hear and the less we respond, even what you've been given will be taken away and your heart will only grow harder and colder. Wow. Let me give you kind of a silly illustration to bring this home maybe a couple weeks ago my family and I went to you know the Redneck Riviera Myrtle Beach right one of our places we go as a family dirty Myrtle they call it our MO as a family is we'll go out in the morning and we'll put our you know our our umbrella up and we'll just stay out in the sun all day just cheap entertainment right five kids just go out and spend the day at the beach and Man, the sun is just coming down all day. You can't stay out in the sun and it not have an effect. But the same sun will have differing effects on different objects. Watch. I go to my snack bag and I open up my snack bag and I'm ready to pull out my chocolate bar. And what I have is chocolate gooey liquid coming out. The sun has melted my chocolate bar, right? Then you go over to your sandwich and your bread and you're ready to pull your sandwich out and you've left it out in the sun and your bread is hard and crusty. Same sun, two different responses. What's the point? The same truth that melts hearts will also harden hearts that are unresponsive. This is a wake-up call. To those who think we can sit idly by and passively by and hear the word of God and not respond and think we remain the same. And by the way, that's a word for those who do not believe. And that's also a word for believers. Do not be merely hearers of the word. But doers of the word and obeyers of the word. Ready to respond in faith and obedience as we walk with Jesus. One of the purposes of parables is to conceal kingdom truth from unresponsive and unbelieving. But that's not the only purpose of parables. Verse 11, he answered them, his disciples, who have come aside and sought Jesus out. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That's a glorious verse. 
To you, my disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Second purpose for parables. Parables further reveal. Reveal kingdom truth to those who are believing. Parables are an act of grace. These teachings of kingdom truth can be an act of judgment on those who are refusing and unresponsive. At the same time, these parables can be a clear act of grace to those who are believing, these disciples, and to us. And just when you might be tempted to think, well, man, I am so proud of myself for being responsive. I'm so thankful that I'm smarter than those unbelievers over there who haven't received the kingdom. Understand any capacity you have to respond to divine truth and seeking Jesus is the lavished grace of God poured out in your life. That's a good place for a hearty amen. That is the lavish grace of God in your life. Jesus says that to his disciples, verse 16. But blessed. Oh, it's a glorious word. Anthony read us this verse earlier. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, this word is used over and over. Blessed. Here, in particular, it's talking about divine, undeserved, unearned favor. He says, to you, John, to you, Peter, to you, Matthew, to you, Thomas, to those disciples, to you, blessed by God the Father are your eyes, because they see, your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, this is an incredible privileged verse, because what he is saying to his disciples then, he's saying to his disciples today, you and me, you hear by his favor, you hear by his grace, verse 17. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. What does that mean? Sounds like a riddle. Jesus is saying, you now live and you are looking at the Messiah face to face. And thousands of years before you have been the prophets who have longed to see the Messiah. And now he's standing in your presence. The revelation of God is standing in front of you. And even more so, you and me in this generation, we have the complete revelation of God. We have, we're on this side of the cross. We're on this side of the resurrection. The evidence of who God is and his redemptive plan is overwhelming. Blessed are you for what God in his grace has allowed us to see and to season in this age and history in which we get to live and with it comes a massive stewardship of the truth that God has entrusted to you and me. Says that to the disciples here, says that to the disciples now. So these parables, let me me try to sum these up really quick, we'll move on and look at a parable. Here's the big truth I think that's gonna guide us through these parables, it's this. God graciously reveals kingdom truth to the believing while he conceals truth from the unresponsive and the unbelieving. Hence the parables. Now, Pastor Mike, are you ever going to get to one of these parables? Yeah, hang on. I'll try to set the context. I want you to understand what's going on here. So in these parables, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to be teaching you kingdom truth, the secrets of the kingdom. Next question is this, Jesus What kingdom truth are you revealing to your disciples and to us? Verse 11. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets or the mysteries 
of the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, synonymous, same thing. What do you mean? Are, are we like super sleuths? Are we to go around and invest? What does that mean? The word mystery or the word secret here is the word mysterion. It simply means something previously unknown to the earlier generations that is now divinely being made known to you. He's saying there are some things about the kingdom and the way the kingdom operates that the prophets of old longed to understand. They didn't understand it. But now to you, I'm revealing these great mysteries of the kingdom of God and the way the kingdom operates in this generation. Well, Pastor Mike, I think I get that. I think that how, how that applies to us. Let me ask a second question, all right? If we're learning the mysteries of the kingdom of God, here's a question. What's the kingdom of God? Now, we could take weeks and weeks and talk about this. I'm not going to give you an exhaustive answer. We've studied this all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. We'll continue to develop it. You can define the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God this way. It is God's redemptive rule and reign in Christ. I stole that from David Platt. It is God's redemptive rule and his reign in Christ. In this age, don't think so much of the kingdom of God as a place. It is, it will be, but it's a realm of God being king. You operating in the realm of his rule and his reign. Jesus is king. And my life operates in that kingdom. I'm not of this world. Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way, your kingdom come. What does that mean? Your will be done. On earth, in my life today, as it is in heaven, he prayed. Matthew chapter 6. So the kingdom's the rule and reign of Christ. Who makes up the kingdom? This was a major point of contention between the Jews and the disciples of that day. Who makes up the kingdom? Remember what Jesus said? Listen to this. Mark chapter 1. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Speaking to Jews. The Jews thought, I'm a part of the kingdom because of my Jewishness. Jesus said, no, no. It is for those who repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom. That the king is here and you surrender your life to this king. That's how you enter the kingdom. Jesus confirmed that. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It is a death to self and the exaltation now of a new king. There's a new king on the throne of your life. That's a kingdom citizen. And even though his kingdom is not visible in this world today, the kingdom operates in the lives of every believer. The world is to look at you and to look at me and see that's what it looks like in the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like to submit to this king. Our lives are little kingdom outposts that the world is to look and see. That's what the reign and the rule of King Jesus looks like. You say... Is there ever going to be a day that the kingdom of God is actually going to be visible on earth? Answer, yes. See, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we'll talk more about this next week, not going to be exhaustive in all this, there's a now reality and there's a not yet reality. Now the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning in the life of every believer. One day his kingdom will be visible and all the world will know that he is king. He will come, he says in Matthew 24, and sit on his glorious throne. Revelation chapter 1, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and the world will know that Jesus is king. For now, 
The world watches the kingdom of God operate within the lives of every genuine Jesus follower. Matthew 13 says, okay, I'm going to teach you some characteristics of how this works. I'm going to teach you some things of this age that you live in between the cross and the crown. We're waiting for the day he's crowned publicly. What does the kingdom of God look like now? How does it operate now? And Jesus says, I'm going to teach you these mysteries. And he does it in seven parables in Matthew chapter 13. Got that? Makes sense? Here we go. Parable number one. What are you teaching us about the way the kingdom of God operates in this present age verse 3 Jesus says this say Pastor Mike that might possibly be the longest introduction to a message I've ever heard in my life you'd be right you don't understand the context we're going to read these and not really understand why he's teaching these parables what is the kingdom of God operating like now verse 3 and he told them many things in parables saying going to take something very well known farmer sowing his seed and he's going to say this is the way the kingdom of God is operating now these are characteristics of my rule and reign now verse 4 and as he sowed this farmer some seeds fell along the path birds came and they devoured them and other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up and had no depth of soil verse 6 but when the sun rose they were scorched and since they had no root they withered away but there was another type of soil verse 7 other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and they choked the seed and other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then Jesus, verse 9, says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now quickly, we're going to try to walk through this. Jesus, fortunately, gives us an explanation. We're going to look at that. But when you look at this parable, here's what you see. you got one sower. you got the same seed. you got four different types of soils. Therefore, you have four totally different responses to the seed that's being sown couple notes really quick we always take a trip to Israel with a group from our church every couple years we're getting ready to do that in September this year and there's a place we visit there in Israel and it's the Nazareth village where literally they walk you out onto this hillside and they show you these four different types of soil it's this parable that comes to life and there's as where these crops are growing there's these little bitty footpaths that walk through the middle of them and these footpaths have been so beaten down by the feet of those who walk you throw seed on that footpath man it can't take root it just lays there on that footpath I saw that and I go that's what Jesus meant and then there's this bedrock type soil all over Israel and on top of that bedrock soil is this real little layer of dirt a seed will fall but it can't take root and then there's these thorns and these bushes everywhere. And if seed are thrown among those bushes, then they can't grow because these weeds choke them out. But then if you travel across Israel, there's places where it's massive harvest. It's incredible harvest where the seed takes root and it bears fruit, some 60, some 100 fold. And that's kind of the picture that's going on here. 
The Bible teaches is when we talk about the soil here, we're talking about the human heart. When we talk about the seed, we're talking about the truth of the kingdom or the living word of God sown among the hearts of men and women. And the different responses are the conditions of the soil, what those responses to the word of God are in this age. And one thing I want you to note as we read through these different soils, every person in this room is characterized by one of these types of soils. You're one of these soils. And time reveals which one of these soils you are. Verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came. I love that. Mark that in verse 10. So he teaches this parable, and the disciples understand. They don't fully get it, and they come to Jesus for an explanation. Can I just make a note really quick? That's what disciples do. We pursue truth. We come after the truth. These parables are not cute little stories that we go, oh, that makes sense. No, they, they incite in us a hunger and a pursuit for him and for more truth. The disciples came to Jesus what we do it's the mark of true discipleship a hunger to grow and to learn jesus help us understand this parable quickly verse 18 hear the parable of the sower hear the parable of the sower the word here in verse 18 doesn't mean you just hear it it means hear with understanding hear with the heart hear with the divine understanding given by the spirit of god hear the parable of the sower verse 19 when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart, the soils of heart. He says this is the condition, this is when the seed is sown along the path. The seed is the word of God, the soil is the human heart, and you have the first soil here, you could define it as hard soil, unresponsive soil. It's those footpaths in Israel where the soil is so hard that the seed literally would fall on top of the soil and it could take no root, it could not penetrate the surface. And the birds of the air just came and had a field day. It would take up that seed and Jesus says, that is a condition descriptive of some human hearts that the seed is sown, they hear the truth, and the heart is so cold and callous that the truth is rejected and they do not respond in faith and repentance. The outcome, verse 19, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown. This is what was sown along the hard path there in Israel. That's one type of soil. There's a second type of soil, verse 20. You could define this as the rocky soil. He says, verse 20, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. How do you know the seed's the word? He says there, this is the word. The seed describes the word being sown and immediately receives it with joy. And we've all seen this. Again, this is that hard bedrock. There's just a little thin layer of soil. The seed falls in that layer of soil. It springs up really quickly. Man, it's going after it. This is the human heart that responds very quickly, but in the end is superficial and shallow. And over time, it reveals there was no true transformation. Immediately responds. 
appears to be what is genuine and is going to last, but time reveals that it doesn't. The outcome, verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. What sprung up cannot endure, and it is revealed that it was never genuine to begin with. Jesus is not truly king, and therefore what comes the way easily dislodges the seed. This is the person, and this is heartbreaking, and we've all seen it. They're there for a short time. This is the shooting stars. They're fired up for a few days, a few weeks. They've prayed a prayer. They've been to an event. And I just say this with deep, broken heart. Over time, it becomes very obvious there was no genuine repentance and faith. Jesus is not king. And that becomes evident. George Whitfield was a preacher during the Great Awakening. He said this. I thought this was a very helpful quote. He said, during the Great Awakening, he was asked, following some of his revival meetings, how many were saved in your revival meetings? To which George Whitfield responded and said, we will see in a few years. We'll see in a few years. Meaning, it is very easy to have a quick response Time will tell, and the evidence is the fruit that is born and endured over time that there was genuine transformation. This is the superficial soil. Third, and quickly, there's the thorny soil. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, listen to this strong word, choke out the word. This is the divided heart. This is where the word becomes unfruitful, not because of the weakness of the word, but because of the division that's in the heart. There's competitors to the word. And the the deceitfulness of the world and the riches of the world and the things of the world draw this heart away and over time... Here's what becomes evident. There was no genuine transformation. Watch this. Which proves Jesus was never king. Because the next best competitor that comes along becomes king and becomes the focus of the heart. Then the next best competitor, whatever it is. For those who are genuinely born again, there may be moments of strain, but there will always be a return to the fact that Jesus is king of our lives. We operate in the kingdom of God. He is king. To those who only added Jesus as another one of their interests in their lives, over time it will become obvious that there was never death to self, a denying of self and repentance of faith. And that becomes obvious. And let me just say, we all say that with broken hearts because we've seen it over and over again. Jesus says there's three types of soil here. There's the hard soil, there's the rocky soil, there's the thorny soil and the outcome of the thorny soil as for what was sown among thorns the outcome is this chokes the word and becomes unfruitful so again jesus gives three types of soils here and with different responses unresponsive altogether there's this quick response that doesn't last because it's not real there's this response that maybe lasts for a little while but when the the competing interests and 
desires of the world choke out that word who is truly king of their life becomes evident over time and the test in all of them is their lasting enduring fruit of transformation the fruit that springs up from the seed that's sown is the evidence of genuine transformation in the life of a follower of Jesus and then finally soil number four and we'll be done as for what was sown on good soil you say does that mean this person's just good I mean this is just a good heart no because no heart is good we're all corrupt that's not what this means this is the prepared soil the farmer evidently has done the work and the soil has been tilled and it has been turned over and when the seed is sown it falls down into the soil who prepares the soil God in his grace prepares the soil to receive the word. So the seed falls on good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands and he bears fruit. And he yields fruit. In one case a hundredfold, in another case sixtyfold, in another case thirtyfold. This is the prepared soil, divinely prepared heart that is receptive and responsive, repents, believes, bears fruit, endures. The temptations of the world come. They may slip, they may slide, but they return always to Jesus as King. Their root is deep into who Jesus Christ is. They endure the persecutions. They endure the challenges. They endure all the world throws. And over time, the fruit remains because Jesus is king of their life. And the grace of God has transformed them. And the very spirit of Christ lives inside of this person. And the outcome is they bear fruit. You say, Pastor Mike, it looks like they don't all bear the same fruit, and that'd be true. Not all genuine believers will be equally fruitful, but all genuine believers will bear fruit. Amen? There's internal fruit of character, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, not an improvement of yourself, the life of Christ being pressed out through you. There's the external fruit of ministry and care and love and service for others. There's the love of God's people. There's the love of God's word. There's the love of making Jesus known. Not that we do that perfectly, but the entire reorient. Our life is completely reoriented to a new king. We operate as kingdom citizens in the realm of the good, loving rule and reign of our king. And the fruit in our life bears witness to that realities of the characteristics of the kingdom right here in Matthew chapter 13. Now time is up. We'll look at some other parables next week, but I wanted to just give you three quick big ideas. These are going to be very quick, and then we'll close. Big idea number one is this. God's kingdom advances through the faithful proclamation of truth. How's the kingdom advance? By power? Is the kingdom advance by government legislation does the the kingdom advance by force the kingdom advances in this generation by the faithful sowing of the seed of the word of God the message of the gospel these disciples then were entrusted with that you and I are entrusted with that here's your takeaway therefore sow the seed of truth keep sowing the seed brothers and sisters Parents, you keep sowing the seed in the life of your little ones. 
Keep sowing the seed in the lives of your kids and trust that over time it will take root. Yours is to sow the seed of the word of God. I'm so grateful to be in a church that we have something called the Family Discipleship Plan that starts when they're preschoolers and says, over years we're going to sow the seed of the Word of God and trust that God is going to give life to that and bear fruit in their lives and there's going to be transformation. Sow the seed. Friends who have only been received with unresponsiveness of that person at work or that neighbor or whatever it may be. Sow the seed of the truth of the word of God and trust God in his grace to take that seed and penetrate that heart and bring life. They will see who Jesus is, the king. Big idea number two quickly is this. The team can come on up and just begin to play. Big idea is this, faithful proclamation of truth will result in vastly different responses. Therefore, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. What we just read, every one of us can relate to the different responses and the different people that we've known. And in 25, almost 30 years of ministry, some of those heartbreaking things that I can remember are those shooting stars that flare up for a season. And then a month, two months, six months later, they're gone. Where are they? It is gut-wrenching. Are those that seem to be walking with the Lord for a season, but when they taste freedom, or maybe, and I say this as a dad that scares me to death, when they give the freedom of college or whatever it may be, their allegiance doesn't change. The true allegiance of their heart becomes evident. Jesus was never king. I say that with a, a heart that breaks. Sow the seed. Don't you hold out a watered-down, easy-believism gospel that says, sign a card, walk an aisle, we'll dunk you, and then you're saved. No! Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And the evidence of a genuine life of faith and repentance will be fruit over time. Beg that we see that in the lives of our students and our kids and our family members. God, save. God, let us see the fruit of genuine faith and repentance. Third big idea and we're done. God prepared hearts will receive the truth and will bear fruit. And that's good news. You know why this was so important for those disciples here? And the disciples today to hear that as Jesus is looking at Matthew and Peter James and John he said all right I'm going to commission you to go to the world and you're going to take the seed of the kingdom of God and the message of the gospel and you're going to sow it around the world but you're going to have different responses you're going to face different opposition some are going to ridicule you some are going to reject you some are going to kill you know something there's no weakness in the seed there's no weakness in the seed you sow the seed and those God prepared hearts will hear and they will respond in faith and repentance 
and Jesus will be their king and their Lord and their lives will bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. You be encouraged. You sow the seed. And the disciples then needed to hear that. And the disciples today sure need to hear that as well. You pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. God, I pray now all over this room, there's some soul evaluation going on of what soil am I? What soil am I? I pray for us, Lord, that know you, God, we are encouraged and challenged, Lord, to sow the seed of your truth faithfully and trust that in your grace you will use it to change lives. There's no weakness in the seed of the message of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Lord, enable us to respond to you this morning in obedience and faith and repentance and trust. In Jesus' name.